0: Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip And I'm Tobias. Join us
1: for a journey in the cloud. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I am again here with Jussi Roine. What's up?
0: Life is good. I am back from... Uh, A conference in Prague that was the uh, European SharePoint Office 365 and Azure conference that took the whole week. It was also the last conference for me of the decade, so I'm happy to be home.
1: How about for you? So for me, I've got the flu, uh, which you might hear on my, my slightly broken voice. So there's not much up except for I'm trying to recover as much as I can. And so this episode... I will be feeding you questions uh, about your favorite or our favorite Azure tools for professionals and developers. Uh, but given my voice and my cough, I will let you do most of the talking. So that's pretty much what the show will be about today, huh?
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, so <clears throat> one more thing that I've been thinking lately before we get to the actual tools is that uh back in the day, I think it was about 15, 20 years ago, Bill Gates. Uh, said that he does a Think Week. He goes to a remote location, spends a week just reading, like reading actual physical paper books. And I think this was also quite heavily outlined and showed in the, uh, I think it was a Netflix documentary on Bill Gates, three episodes. So I've been thinking I need to do something similar, but I don't have a week. So I'm thinking of like a Think Weekend, two, three days in the summer cabin, even though it's winter, but let's call it a cabin now, and just reading. No Twitter, no Netflix, no internet, just reading books or or stuff from the iPad or Kindle. And I'm not sure when I'm able to do this, but at some point in 2020, this is something that I'll do and, and hope to learn a lot more.
1: Yeah, sounds good. And also sounds pretty healthy to just get away and be analog for a bit and. You know, resist the urge to open whatever device is pinging in the background and just sit down and read, or yeah, do whatever you do. Exactly.
0: All righty. So let's get to the tools. And while I was thinking about the tools, there's obviously a lot of tools when you work with Azure. You could be an IT pro. You could be a developer perhaps an architect that I often feel that people kind of bundle the IT pro and the developer together in this magical uh, superhero role. Uh, and I know a lot of people have their specific tools they work on. They have the specific workflows. So I went through the tools that I typically use, but then I also had a look on tools that I should be perhaps using more. But I tried to avoid... Uh, listing or mentioning tools that are so specific that unless you're doing this this highly detailed integration from your iot device to azure you would only need that tool on that certain time so i'm i'm skipping those even though they are useful for that scenario
1: yeah i mean the, the list would be pretty long if if you were to cover all the available tools in all different angles of something that relates to azure uh, so I, I think it's a good idea to to keep the list in such a sense that these are common tools that we like, but maybe not the most obvious ones like Visual Studio, because if you're developing for Azure, you most likely have that, or Visual Studio Code.
0: Yeah, definitely. So let's get started. The, the first one that I'm highlighting, let's start with something easy, is azurespeed.com. So it's a website. And once you open it, you can do a bunch of things from there. And and typically what you use this for is to verify or check the latency between your current location where you're connected to the internet and the Azure data centers. So what I do is I open this when I'm visiting a customer just to check that, okay, let's try West Europe or North Europe or France or, or Switzerland or something else let's verify what the latency is. Is there a huge uh, huge uh, discrepancy in what I'm expecting it to be? Or is there something that changed recently? So Western Europe might be 50 milliseconds for me, North Europe would be 65. But sometimes it would be the other way around. So perhaps I'm thinking, let's deploy to North Europe. Even though that 15 milliseconds is not something that that dictates everything, it gives a quite clear indication for me on what's fast, what's slow, what's remote, what's close enough for me. And obviously, if you're based in the Netherlands or in Ireland or the UK, or some country that has an Azure data center locally available, the choice is quite clear. But coming from Finland, for me, and Tobias, you're from Sweden, you still don't have a data center like we don't have, and Azure data center, then we kind of have to choose, even though we have our, our, our pre- preferences that we, we uh, normally would like to use.
1: Yeah, so I mean, so this is azurespeed.com. And I mean, it sounds kind of similar to the idea that was announced at uh, the Ignite conference, which is the Azure internet analyzer, where you can pretty much deploy your existing web apps. So that's a bit more advanced, I guess, where you can deploy your existing web apps Um, to see the latency on your existing app. So when when you launch your apps, which is today hosted, uh, wherever you have them hosted, they're also connecting back from your client to the actual Azure data center to measure latency. So it's also a way for, uh, if you're moving to the cloud, to understand which data center might be the best one for you, and also if there's any bottlenecks with that communication. So a lot of time I hear people go to Azure and they expect everything to be super quick because you know that's the story you're telling. But when they land in Azure, something is taking way too long because maybe there's one component that could not communicate properly or whatever it is that delays things. Uh, so it sounds like a lightweight version of that. So if you just need to go to a client site or if you are at a specific location and you wanna test what is the best data center for me, then azurespeed.com is the way to go, right?
0: Yeah, and the Azure internet analyzer that you mentioned, um, at the time of recording this episode, that's still in private preview. So I requested access to that one. Hopefully I'll get the access someday soon and and I get to try out that service. My impression is the same. It's a solution for for measuring latency and trying to figure out uh, possible bottlenecks between your services and other services, including Azure services as well, and 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 you can build that so that it's it's doing constant tracking and telemetry, and then then you can figure out what really happened.
1: Yeah. All right. Cool. So what else is on the list? Uh,
0: what else is on the list? Uh, obviously, we have to mention Azure pricing calculator. It's, it's somewhat boring in the sense that you open the website, it gives you all the services, all the prices, and you can calculate how much you're, you're planning on paying for your services. But I use this as a kind of starting point. But I'm figuring out what sort of an architecture I'm planning on building. So I start with this. 2 VMs, a couple of storage accounts, a couple of logic apps, a couple of Azure SQL databases and whatnot. And it gives me a rough total that per month it would cost me maybe 200 euro. And then I can build from there. I can figure out if I want to go with premium SSDs for the VM or the standard SSDs or the old old HDDs or if I want to scale something up or down and and I can kind of keep in my head the the rough cost for the solution that that it requires to operate the solution. So Azure Pricing Calculator, and we'll have all the links in the show notes, obviously.
1: Yeah, I also like that one. And what I particularly like with it is you just mentioned that if you scale up and down, you can also just add instances in the calculator and say, if you by design know this might be my my load on my services, then maybe I want to go up to eight instances of this app service or this function app or my container instances, whatever it is. And that's what you can use in the pricing calculator. You just tick instances up to eight or whatever is your number, and you will get like, this is gonna be the roof of your cost. Um, But don't neglect putting in things like the storage account and key vaults, even though most of those transactions are pretty cheap. When you get to a certain point, you know that will also start costing money. Or if you do uh, cross data center queries, like with storage accounts, if you if your service, like a function app or ACI container, whatever it is, is hosted in West Europe and your storage account is in West Europe, there's no transactional cost to access that data. But if the data Uh, location is different from the actual services requesting the data or if you're requesting it from your own home office or your work office which is not an Azure data center in the same region you also have a transactional cost so it's important not to neglect uh, that because I've seen cases where you go and you add your main services but you don't take into account that the data might be in different locations if you have a multi-geo setup then transactional costs will be hitting you and that can be pretty substantial if you don't, don't design that properly So that's just a small tip related to to cost in the the calculator. And
0: this is also especially relevant if you're uh, building solutions to relying on virtual machines, because oftentimes you want to make a disaster recovery setup. If something fails in West Europe, let's fail over to North Europe, and suddenly half of your VMs will be running in North Europe. They're running well, though, but they might rely on resources in West Europe or someplace else. The the other thing here with the Azure Pricing Calculator is that I've been helping out um, customers every now and then on figuring out what to build on top of Azure and who should be building it. So they might interview 10 Microsoft partners. And as part of that process, we ask those partners to build their pricing model using the Azure Pricing Calculator and share that link. So there's a share button and it generates a unique link. And, and we ask them that please, uh, map out your your services and resources in Azure. You don't need to build this fancy looking diagram in PowerPoint or Visio. It's enough if, if you just list whatever you're planning and running and give us that pricing calculator link. So we see how you're thinking and approaching the costs here as well. And too often you see somebody just adding services that might add a lot of extra cost, even though they might be useful, but they are not requested, and the price goes from two hundred euro to to two thousand seven hundred euro a month. And that small step in this reveals those kind of kind of problems. Alrighty, next up is something a little bit different. It's screenshotting, meaning how do you take a screenshot from your screen? So Windows 10 has the built-in screenshot uh, utility which i find is quite nice obviously it's free you just start using it and i think uh and i never used this so that's why i think it's windows shift s uh is the is the uh, shortcut keyboard combination and that gives you the small tool and you can select if you want to screenshot a window area or or a free form area or the whole screen or multiple screens But uh, the tool that I use is called GreenShot. And that's free. So you can download that freely. And why I prefer using this is that it has predefined controls. So I typically map screenshot to uh, a button on my keyboard. And I I typically like to use the print screen key because it's there. And you don't really print anything anymore. So I, I press print screen and it gives me a small magnifier and a small cursor, and and I can draw an area I'd like to screenshot. And once I'm done with this, it opens a small image editor so that I can obfuscate something from that screenshot. But it also saves that image to a certain folder and timestamps that and names the file with the application that I was screenshotting on. So if I was screenshotting a Teams window, it would name the timestamp Teams.png or JPEG. So yep. this is this is something that I use quite a bit. And often if I need to go back in time, I've got one folder with timestamped screenshots and I can easily find something from two months ago.
1: Yeah, it sounds similar to what I use, which is uh, Snagit from TechSmith. So that's a licensed product, but I also use Camtasia, which is a video editing. And they're screenshot tool is called Snagit. It has also this rectangular area or even scrolling. Uh, So if you have a website that is very long and you want to grab a single screenshot of it, you can say uh, vertical screenshotting or scrolling screenshotting, whatever it's called. You tick that and it will automatically scroll the entire window for you and screenshot that as one picture. So that's pretty convenient. Uh, I use it mostly for the rectangular areas because then when I put that in the blog or put that in some documentation, Uh, Yeah, it's pretty easy to do things. Um, So I guess those tools are pretty similar.
0: Yeah, they're small tools, but you need to have these sort of tools readily available whenever you need them so that it's not stopping whatever you're doing for work. So next up, uh, Windows Terminal. And this was uh, announced um, in mid-2019, I think during a Build conference. They they made this... uh, grid-looking trailer video on Windows Terminal. Perhaps it was called Microsoft Terminal at the time. And it's now available in preview from uh, Windows Store. So on Windows 10, you open Store, search for Windows Terminal. You can easily download that. You don't have to compile it yourself anymore. And it also auto-updates through the Store now. And the thing I like about Windows Terminal, even though I know there's a lot of different shells and terminals that you can use, Tobias, I remember you mentioning a uh, Commander. Perhaps yep. it was you or somebody else else we had a chat uh, earlier on who mentioned that Commander is something they really prefer using.
1: Yep, yeah, yeah. Um, I love Commander, and it also has all these native integrations with like GitHub and or with Git. Uh, so you can run that, and from command where I can also run my PowerShell's, but also it, it remembers my full history of the commands I've executed. I can have multiple tabs, and if you fancy, you can also have semi-transparent window. If you know if that's a thing that you like, um, for me though, the powerful thing with that is I can super easily create aliases with multiple batched commands. So because I have many uh, Azure subscriptions, I have. You know, an abundance of them. Where I have separation of test, uh, production, staging. My personal, I think I have five personal Azure subscriptions, something like this. Uh, but I try out different things in and isolate things. And using Commander, I can set up aliases, which uh, changes subscription because I'm already I've already signed in with my account, and I can change subscription, set this one subscription as the default, and then execute whatever command I want. Um, like listing the resources or listing the firewalls, whatever it is, that's super simple to do. Uh, you type alias equals and then whatever the command is going to be. Um, so I have like AC Toby that goes to my personal Azure subscription and list the resources and the remaining costs or the remaining credits I have. That's it. And um, so whatever like daily things you do, um, that's my go-to tool, Commander always with aliases to Yeah, make things simple for myself.
0: Sounds convenient, definitely. And with Windows Terminal, uh, you can host uh, your terminals in in tabs. So one tab could have the classic command prompt, another could be hosting PowerShell, and the third one could be hosting hosting, uh, Azure Cloud Shell, meaning that you get to run Azure CLI, which is yet another tool. So you can run Azure CLI locally, so you could execute that through a command prompt or in Windows Terminal, you could execute Azure Cloud Shell, meaning that you're executing things within the context of Azure in a Cloud Shell.
1: All right. Yeah, cool. Because I've used the Azure CLI um, quite a lot and I, I had to install it. But so if you use the Windows Terminal, you don't have to install the Azure CLI SDK or uh, or the runtime or can you like natively connect to that or do you still have to install something
0: uh it natively connects to azure cloud shell so it gets an instance of the cloud Shell from azure once you open it first it asks uh you to authenticate against azure and Mm -hmm. if you have multiple subscriptions it, it will ask what the default one would be that that you would want to work with you select that one it spins up the azure cloud shell so it's exactly the same on what you run in azure portal but now you can have it that in a native Windows app. Very nice. And another one is curl, meaning command line URLs, uh, so you can execute HTTP uh, actions, HTTP gets posts and whatnot from the command line. And that's now built in with Windows 10. I think it was 1809 built. I could remember this incorrectly, but... About a year ago, we got CURL, SSH, and similar classic tools as as, uh, uh, natively available in Windows 10. So I use this quite a bit. When I quickly need to look into something, I don't want to spin up a browser. I don't want to touch the mouse. I've got my hands on the keyboard. I've got a command prompt or Windows terminal open already. So I I simply do CURL uh, and a URL, and it spins everything back to me. Uh, as text. And one thing that I use this often is that I'm with a customer. I might be connected to one of their servers or or using my own laptop to connect to their network. And we need to modify firewall rules. And, and what I typically ask the customer is that what's your public facing IP address or addresses? And it always takes 20 minutes for somebody to dig that up. And what I do is curl ipecho.net slash plane. And that simply spits back your current public IP address. Obviously, you need to be connected to the network that, that you plan on on firewalling. But that typically is the case. So you quickly get that IP address as well.
1: Yeah, I, I use this tool also a lot for development purposes and, and trying things out quickly. Like, do I get the correct bear token in my APIs? Do I, Can I pass a request with a bear token and be authenticated and authorized? Uh, yeah, very quick tests can be done with that. And and that also relates to another tool, uh, which is Postman, which is also uh, a very good tool for post requests, get requests, like any type of web, web requests, being able to modify headers and all this stuff. And this is a tool you have uh, used as well?
0: Yeah, I use Postman whenever I'm working with APIs that I'm not that familiar with. And and I anticipate there's going to be problems. So I fire up Postman, and now uh, with Postman you have the capability of creating collections. So I can have a collection to talk with this bunch of APIs, and a different collection to talk with a different set of APIs, and it will store all the settings in that collection. Uh, one one API I was heavily relying on Postman was when I tried to build. Something around the Tesla API, so the Tesla cars have an API and, and you can talk back to your car and I wanted to build a, a wrapper around that API so that I could remotely from command line say what's the location of the car and and what's the speed and how much battery does it have left and if it if would neatly print that out back to me on the command line so instead of doing curl and trying to re- memorize all the different API verbs, I could simply do Postman collection and figure out how it works and then capture that in my console application that I later built. So Postman definitely is is one of those, those tools when you open it, you really start understanding better how the APIs work because you see that in so clear that this is what I'm putting in, this is what I'm getting back and this is why it's failing.
1: Yeah. And you can also, <coughs> apologies, you can also uh, go between the raw, the JSON results. If it's an XML result, you can see the headers specifically. If you're looking for authorization headers, you can quickly find them. If you're doing requests, you can put in the headers and you can modify them and the content types. And like all of this is a lot easier with this UI than it is with, with curl. And um, I also like this with the collections and you can save your session. You can sign in from a di- different machine and access your, Uh, your recent sessions, you you can pick up where you left off. Because one thing I realized, you know, being in development for so many years is I don't learn an API and then I remember every part of it. You know, that's not just possible because you work with so many different things. So with Postman, this is pretty good with the collections that you mentioned that I, I can create my collections for different services. And then I have my baseline API calls in there and they're saved. I even have like two or three year old Um, requests that I have now put into collections because I finally figured out exactly how I want to make those requests, but it took some while to figure that out. So instead of refiguring it out later, I just put them in there and I can quickly verify if they still work or something changed on the server side. So I can just go in there. Okay. It was about Azure app services. I want to do whatever it is. Hit this, uh, do the request. And if you get the success result back, you're good. Uh, But Things does change in the cloud, so a lot of times it doesn't come back good because something has changed, or maybe the wrestled set is is looking quite different. Um, but you know that's the nature of of the cloud. You gotta stay on top of it, and Postman is a good way of doing that. Definitely, and
0: obviously we have Fiddler as well. And I, I'd say Fiddler is a bit more raw in the sense that that you want to trap the traffic, click on a single a singular, set of packages and say, okay, I, I need to know what went out, what came in, but it also reveals uh, content like your bearer tokens against your APIs. Postman is more graphical and, and it's more, I'd say, on building something, and filler is more about troubleshooting. Why isn't it going through? What's, what's not uh, responding to me when I'm doing this and this call? Alrighty, so the next one is called Azure Charts. So you can find that at azurecharge.com, and it's called Azure Heat Map, and this is a service built by Alexei Polkovnikov. I think he works for Microsoft, and and it has a lot of functionality. The the base view gives you a heat map on which Azure updates have been uh, deployed to which Azure services. So depending on how bright and how in the top that service is, you know that a certain service like Azure Security Center or SQL databases, they've been receiving a lot of updates lately, but you might have something in the bottom and I'm just looking at it, there's Azure Scheduler and Azure Automation. They are in the bottom a bit more dark and not receiving any recent updates. So this is the base view, but there's there's like eight or seven different views on, on how you can go through what's happening in Azure, as well as how do I better understand what services do I have in Azure.
1: Yeah, I really like that. I, I go there maybe once a week, so not too often, but still regularly enough for for that to be a, uh, an important tool to mention or an important resource to mention. Because uh, I can go there, just like you say, you can... You can see what's going on lately because I there are so many announcements coming out of Microsoft every single day, it's very hard to keep up. But if you know that in your solution stack, you use these services, maybe your your core components consist of 10 different core services that are super important to you, uh, including security center, including app services, including storage accounts, or whatever it is, you can keep an eye on there, and if something lights up real high up, you can see that, okay, did receive a bunch of updates recently. Take a look what that is, because maybe it's something you have a benefit of in your solution. Uh, or it's something that in the security center, when they release new updates, maybe there's new compliance checks, and maybe this is something you want to implement. Um, so it's a pretty cool way, a visual way to stay up to date with what's going on for resources that you're interested in, um, First time I opened it, I saw everything and I went through every one of them, like what's going on in here? What's going on in here? And I learned a lot about things I had no idea about. But in the end, I use it for you know, my, my own purposes. I know what we are running in production. I know what we're running in development. And I know what we're um, doing in preview. So I can focus on those things. And I take a look what is going on, what has recently been announced and released. And this is pretty cool. So that's a great tip.
0: By default, it has a normal mode, so everything is 2D. But then there's a 3D mode, you click on that, uh, it it transforms the the different blocks of services in 3D, and it gives you a little bit different overview on on what's happening in Azure. I really like the service. I I hope it remains available in the future as well.
1: And everything is better in 3D, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All I need is the mixed reality glasses now, and I'm set for, for good. Uh, Okay, next one is uh, Azure Storage Explorer. And this is something that's been around for quite some time, but I think it was uh, renewed maybe two years ago. And it allows you to uh, go through your Azure storage accounts just like they would be local disks. So it's a bit like what File Explorer is in Windows, but this is for Azure storage. You install it locally, you connect to your storage account, uh, with, the, um, with the primary or secondary key. And then it allows you to upload, download, modify files, or just browse what's there, set permissions on containers. Uh, highly useful, and also it's super fast if you need to move a bunch of files to Azure or backup files from Azure without needing to use the Azure portal or creating your own script for doing this.
1: Yeah, and that's also a great mention. I've used this for many years, and it has had a different incarnations. Uh, I think the the one I'm running now, the one officially from Microsoft, there was different Storage Explorers in the past that you know individuals in the community built. But now this one is from Microsoft, and I think it's electron-based, if I'm not mistaken. Because also, if you go to portal.asher.com and you go to your storage account, you have a preview feature called Storage Explorer, which is the same one. So you can actually, from the Azure portal, also go and browse your queues and what's in them, browse your tables, browse your blob data. Because in the past, you could only see that you have tables, and these are the names, but you couldn't actually look at the data. Then you had to run PowerShell or CLI or code or use a Storage Explorer like this one. Um, So I use it every day. I also have it installed on my machine. You can connect to storage accounts either using a a SAS token or a connection string or uh, just by signing into your Azure account. So it's pretty convenient. Uh, I would obviously recommend that you don't sign into your production accounts uh, unless you know what that means, because if you sign in there, your Windows machine is later going to be signed into production. So if you go into Visual Studio and you hit F5 and you're not aware of what changes you've done because you signed into a new account, your Visual Studio might target production. Right? And this has happened in the past um, in a variety of um, instances that I have taken part of. and. It's not fun. So just be careful if you sign in, just know that if you sign into production, just understand what that means, that your machine will be authenticated to your production account. So if you go back to your CLI, or if you go back to Visual Studio, it might also be able to connect your So That's important to understand.
0: We had a fun problem about four years ago already. Uh, I was helping out with a friend on building a public facing website in Azure. And we had some challenges, I think, with the SSL SSL certificate at the time, and I asked a, a colleague of mine at work to maybe have a, look, a quick look at it because he really knew security and SSL. So he went in, he fixed everything, that was it. A month later, my friend calls me and says, "You see, the website is is not responding." I was like, "Oh, it's maybe something with the web app or or the the budget of the subscription or something." So I log in to the subscription, I still had access there, and the web app is gone. It's not there anymore. And there's nothing in the logs either. I'm like, okay, something, something is not right. And I raised a ticket with Microsoft, and about two days later, after going numerous emails back and forth, the, the support engineer comes to me and said, yeah, we found a problem. Somebody logged in with, with a PowerShell and executed the remove web app, and it's gone. I'm like, no, it's impossible, maybe somebody hacked that. So my team member had forgotten that he was still logged in and he was demoing in classroom how to delete um, a test web app. And accidentally you're logged into the incorrect subscription, <laughs> you remove the web app, <laughs> oh, <man>. it's
1: gone. <laughs> I mean, so from one angle, it's good that it was a web app and not a storage account. Because a web app, you can set that up and you still have the data. Obviously, if it's decoupled, which it usually is. If you delete the storage account, it's gone. Right? So, And that brings me to actually another tool, uh, AC Copy, that I use for backing up my storage accounts. And even though you have geo-redundant backups in Azure for your storage account, it doesn't take into account if you, from your code or your PowerShell, like in this case or whatever, you go in and you delete the storage account or you delete all the data or you corrupt the data. You know, then... The data will be corrupt in all instances. You know, do you distribute corrupted data? That's you know, maybe not what you desire. So what I do with, with this tool, AC Copy, it's a command line tool, which is also actually integrated into Storage Explorer now. So if you're uploading big files and a lot of data, you can use the Storage Explorer, which then relies on AC Copy, which is super uh, convenient and, and actually pretty fast to upload files. Uh, but if you use ac-copy standalone, which I do in my PowerShells and my build pipelines, I can also back up my storage accounts. And depending on the size of those storage accounts, you can back it up to zip file and password protect that, or you can back it up to a different storage account, which is in a different data center, even a different subscription, which I recommend, um, that is totally decoupled from all permissions and whatever you have in, in the current one. Uh, so it's, it's a nice way to do that, but I wish there were like a button in the storage account Maybe it will be there uh, someday where I can just say, take this entire storage account on a schedule every day at 2 o'clock PM, take the entire storage account and copy to a new storage account in the subscription using this access key. That's what I would like, but that's pretty much what I do with AC Copy. So if someone deletes the storage account, I'm good. I can restore that. if we accidentally corrupt the data because of a code change or, you know, maybe a change in encryption keys, whatever it is, that would corrupt the data, we can always roll that back because I have the copies of the data. Um, so that's a, a great tool to use for that. But unfortunately, as far as I know, you have to still do these uh, things manually.
0: Yeah, you have to do those manual or build some sort of an automation around it. Uh, so a, AZ Copy is a bit like FTP for the 2020 then. Alrighty. uh next up is uh, a website called resources.azure.com uh, and what this does is that you can log into your azure subscriptions through here and it will list all the resources so it will list all the subscriptions you have and all the providers within those subscriptions and it allows you to browse the the resource manager structure of your Azure subscriptions, but it also allows you to execute commands like gets and puts against the data. So this is especially useful if you're building on something, but you feel that, okay, perhaps it didn't execute correctly. So I need to fix something um, under the hood, meaning that I cannot fix it through a graphical interface like Azure portal. So I do not use it that often, but I feel this is an important service because when something fails or you need to verify, did we really clean up on this and this and this? You can access resources.azure.com, log in, and then see what's happening and forcefully remove things you that you know you're not going to need anymore.
1: Yeah, I really like it. This is a great tip. Uh, so to reiterate the, the address, it's resources.azure.com. Um, I use this a lot. <coughs> and I know pretty much this inside out. And I started using it years ago when I tried to understand uh, how the ARM or the Azure Resource Manager templates work because I couldn't figure things out. And the template was supposed to work, but it didn't work. And the API version was incorrect and whatever. It was always something that didn't work. And it was not documented when I started doing that because it was pretty new uh, with all the ARM templates and this stuff. So I could use this and go in and I could see for the provider storage account, the latest API version is 20160811 uh, or whatever the version number was, and it could figure that out from there. So I saw this as a JSON representation of my entire Azure infrastructure, and it gives the authentication providers how things are configured, all the way down to app settings on the web app. And like you say, you can also make modifications and Sometimes when a web app back in the day was stuck in a certain state and couldn't get out of it, you could go in to com to the web app and do a post command that didn't actually update anything. You just ran the post command, and then the web app came back to life. Um, you know, tricks like that. And I don't need to do those things anymore, but I still use it a lot to understand the API versions, uh, to understand you know how, how the schema of the JSON looks like and to understand things better. And when I do like to go back to the Postman tool, when I do REST queries to get resources from Azure, I can then compare that I'm getting all the data that I actually have in my expected JSON, which comes from resources.azure.com, and, and compare that. So that's a great tip. I use it a lot as a developer. I also use it a lot when I need to just review the infrastructure and understand, uh, you know, what goes where, what things do I have? Um, but especially if you're a developer, it's a super powerful way to get insights into how things look and like kind of the json representation of the data model and how um the api versions when you do arm template development looks like
0: one of the the capabilities uh resources.azure.com now has as well is a separate tab called powershell you click on that and it auto generates you on whatever you've selected. For example, I selected one of my subscriptions, selected tag names, and then I click on PowerShell. It gives me a tree liner that these are the commands for you to get your get your tag names to all resources with a tag. And this, these are the commands for creating new tag names and, and tagging uh, a resource group or, or, or a virtual machine or something else with that tag. So in, in a way, it also helps you in figuring out how do, I, how do I dig more info from PowerShell instead of using the web browser. All right, moving on, Azure Portal app. And this is a Windows-based app that you can get from the store. I think you can also download it from Azure Portal itself. And once you install this, it will host the Azure Portal application locally for you. So you get a bit of benefit from caching, and I generally feel this is a bit more faster at times than simply using portal.azure.com.
1: Yep. I, I wrote a blog post about this uh, a while back, and it's been wildly popular since. Um, and I claim that it's pretty much three times faster than running the, the Azure portal, whatever browser I use, and it still holds true to that. It is super duper fast. And I don't know if it's caching or if like all the resources are downloaded in the app and you just make native requests and and like everything else is already there i don't know how they do it but it's fast maybe it's just the overhead of all the browsers um but i like it um though when i use it there's no multi-user support and maybe that is coming i don't know um But I actually found this app by mistake because I was using IE, Internet Explorer, for testing because there were some customers requesting IE to work with a certain solution. So I used that, went into the Azure portal, and I was presented with a dialogue saying, "Hey, we can see that you're using IE, and this experience might not be the best for you because, you know, it's IE. they, (laughs) They used some nicer words for that. But they said, you know, in, in, instead of having a broken experience, use this app and I could download it. So that's how I found it. And when I tried it out, it was, wow, pretty fast. But it would be nice to have like tabs so you could have different user accounts signed in. So if I have uh, test one, test two, and dev subscriptions, I could have them all there in different tabs and just run through them and play around with them. Uh, but again, be careful with whatever production accounts you have.
0: Yeah, I use the Azure Portal app uh, with my main account against my main tenant that I use for building a lot of the stuff that I build. And then I have a bunch of profiles in Microsoft Edge, the the new Edgeum based on Chromium. Uh, and with those profiles, I can access different subscriptions or use different accounts on different subscriptions as well.
1: Yeah, um, I, I actually use uh, Firefox containers for that. And yeah. that's not like Linux containers, that's firefox way of of saying grouped tabs or uh, something like that and same thing with profiles so i have different profiles with different container and it goes into different colored tabs works like a charm super cool
0: and and of course we have the azure mobile app so it's available for ios and android at least i've never checked if it's available for windows phone or is it called what, windows it, what mobile? is windows phone anyway yeah I, I'm not sure if it's Windows <laughs> mobile Windows phone or something else nowadays, but for iOS and Android, the Azure app is is very useful because you can spin up Azure Cloud Shell quite easily through there and and I use that surprisingly often. I am traveling to the kindergarten uh by tram to to avoid avoid the uh traffic, and I figure, oh yeah, I need to shut down the v m or whatever. I open the app, I click on Azure Cloud Shell, it spins up the Cloud Shell for me and and I can just do AZ VM stop blah, blah, blah and it stops the VM for me and I don't need to open my laptop or even bring my laptop because I can confidently do all those small things on my mobile phone. So next up is uh, Visual Studio Code. So Tobias mentioned Visual Studio before, and, and obviously people should know about Visual Studio by now. And I think many people already know about Visual Studio Code, but then again, Visual Studio Code can also be used quite well for PowerShell scripts. So I use Visual Studio 2019 when I do .NET, but if I need to do PowerShell, I've switched now to Visual Studio Code with the PowerShell plugin instead of using the old uh, integrated script editor that, that used to be the thing for PowerShell in the past 10 years.
1: Yeah, I, I really like that as well. Um, and I have a lot of different things in Visual Studio Code at the same time. I have some JSON files. Uh, I've got some markup and I've got PowerShell files and it can just quickly switch between the files and whenever I need to execute my PowerShell, I do that from the same IE or from the same app that I use for for all the other uh, documents that I'm modifying. Uh, So I found that pretty convenient as well.
0: And two more, I'll bundle these together. One is the Azure roadmap, the other one is the Azure architectures. So Azure roadmap is a simple list where you can also get an RSS feed on, on the latest recent updates to Azure services. So you can filter that based on the service or you can just get the whole list and, and keep up to date on what the recent updates to Azure were. The other one is Azure architectures that has a lot of really good architectures that you can get as a PDF, but also as a Visio file. So I often use this as a template if I'm building something. Uh, About six months ago, I needed to build something for Azure IoT. So instead of hunting down those Visio stencils first to make sure they're up to date, and then starting from an empty blank page, what I would do is I check the Azure architectures. There's three or four IoT end-to-end enterprise architectures. I would copy one of those, remove everything that I didn't need, and it would give me a quite nicely looking architecture diagram that I could then use as a, as a discussion opener with a customer to say, okay, this is what we're thinking. We should maybe consider this, this, and this in addition. And then when we got that discussion going on, I could go back to the architectures and copy bits and pieces from those other architectures that would complement the one that I was building on.
1: Yeah, it's it's a pretty nice way to not have to do everything ground up. And because, you, you know, a lot of the times you reuse the architectures with whatever modifications that suits that specific use case. So that's a great tip. Uh, where can you find those?
0: Uh, let's, let's put the link on the show notes, but typically I just go to azure.microsoft.com and click on resources. It gives you the, the roadmap, it gives you the architectures, and it gives you a lot of the links uh, to the different services we already mentioned. But but we'll we'll be sure to add all the links in the show notes so that it's easy to find find the tools that we've been discussing now. And with this, I think we are done with all the tools. Uh, so word of the day—it's been a tradition for almost, I think, two episodes now. So it's it's a weekly tradition now to learn a bit Swedish and Finnish. So what's the word of the day in Swedish?
1: So in in Swedish, it's. <clears throat> Apologies. It's skukstukig. And that is when a Swede is really, really furious, but you're not really cursing. So you say, jag Yo är skukstukig. Jag blir skukstukig. And, and that's pretty much like the literal translation of that is forest crazy. I don't know where that comes from, but instead of cursing, you know, going, going all balls out on, on cursing and whatever, you just say, jag blir skukstukig. I'm going forest crazy. And that means you're really, really upset.
0: I need to try this. So, gig. I think I'm getting it. gig. I am gig. Pretty good. Yeah. You nailed it. Hey. So, the Finnish version, uh, it's kontikoti. And this is a home where people live in that was converted from a shipping container, so Konti is a container shipping container, and Koti is home, so it's a container home in Finnish and we actually have those
1: yeah very nice it's a it's a good trend uh, with these tiny houses nowadays.
0: Oh yeah. I was I was playing with the idea uh ages ago that I would I would buy like ten of those containers, those shipping containers, and, and I would weld them together and and, and and have different uh different ways of accessing them. But I think a lot of the times they are painted with toxic chemicals to to uh avoid them in in, in uh not gathering corrosion and everything else. So in order to actually build something from that, I understood you really have to have to uh, scrape everything away from that and it quickly becomes more expensive than just building a normal house yeah
1: so conticotti.:
0: koti yes and skooks 2 gig yeah so I, right. I will be i will be skooks 2 gig in my conticotti.
1: <laughs> yeah very nice all right i think that wraps it up for today
0: yes thanks again thank you